You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Draymond gets it up top to Wiggins off the air ball to Thompson. Easy. Three to shoot over to Curry. Curry with one. Has to take it. He does. It's up and it's good. It's a three ball in the left corner. Fading to his left. The Warriors go up 16 with 95 seconds to go. Now back to 95-7 the game. We have just received official word that Coach Steve Kerr has passed safety and protocol measures and will be available and will be on the bench coaching the Golden State Warriors come game one Wednesday night in the Western Conference Finals. I think that's big. I think that's big because, you know, I, I was getting um, – I won't say heckled, but, you know, I was out at the old ship on Friday, ran into a, a young Warriors fan named named Tim. Who, Where were you? Oh, I was at the old ship saloon. It's like a block down. I like it. I like it. Uh, the, the battery club right across the street. That's where Tim works. So he's in a very exclusive area. Gets so you, to, you weren't at the battery club. I, you weren't at the old ship. I was across the street from the exclusive exclusivity. Uh, no, no. We're, we're Come on. Old ship, we accept all. So I'm sitting there. Tim comes by. We're talking, and he's he's telling me, man, like, you don't think there's an issue with the coaching? It was right after the fifty-five po- or thirty-nine point loss, and I'm thinking, no, like there's there there isn't that big of an issue. I don't think there's that big of a drop. Like there's not a fifty-five point drop off between Steve Kerr and and Mike Brown. But well, I, I what I will say is the amount of in-game adjustments that the Warriors I think are able to make come from Steve Kerr. Like that is where I know a lot of people don't want to give him credit because. You know he's he's coached such great talent for such a long time, but to me, Steve Kerr, this is this is the best coaching job that he's done in his career. Managing the amount of injuries, managing the amount of budding stars, managing the amount of minutes that he has to distribute. We're talking about how he fits in Kaminga. Well, he's had to deal with that problem all season long, and I think he's flourished in this role. So getting him back in advance of the Western Conference Finals to me is great because, and this is no disrespect to Mike Brown. He just hasn't been at the head of the table for this season. So when it comes down to those, you know, nitty gritty moments, those those quick decisions you got to make on the fly as a head coach, I defer to Steve Kerr. I don't blame Mike Brown for not, I guess, thriving. Like he's he he filled in, he did his job, he got them to the next round. Now you pass the baton back to the guy who's got you here at the head of the coaching staff, which is Steve Kerr. I think yeah, it's huge. I don't think it's a referendum on Coach Mike Brown, but I do think with the return of Steve Kerr, there's a return in a sense of normalcy. Yeah. That I don't think that the players, and this could be subliminal, but there isn't that level of angst. You recognize all's well. Steve Kerr's here. You recognize his voice. You recognize the game plan. You recognize what it is that he wants to do. You recognize the mannerisms. And there's a sense of not only normalcy, but I think I would go as far as to say security. Like now, and especially for younger players, I feel more secure about our team. 
I feel as though we're now back in that special place with our guy back at the helm. So Steve Kerr, once again, returns to the Golden State Warriors as their head coach, replacing Mike Brown, and now goes back and becomes, quote-unquote, sort of the D'Amico Ryans, if you will, the defensive coordinator for that of the Golden State Warriors. By the way, Beta Breakers is going off today. I know we've mentioned it throughout the show, but just a reminder, Beta Breakers, which is... Is it what time do they conclude that thing? Do we know? Is it late afternoon typically, or do we have a winner? Because I know they start real early. So yeah, we probably got a winner by now. Yeah, I'd, I would imagine it's probably wrapping up around the same time we do, around one o'clock. But I saw people out there at eight a.m. I mean, it forced any good me to, costumes to this morning? We even, you know, I, I saw some guy that was wearing. I think it was a Thor costume. You know, he didn't have the muscles of Chris Hemsworth, of course, but you know, he he had the big armor on, a flowing cape. Uh, you know, you see people dressing up as hot dogs and different condiments and pairing together and yeah. stuff. So, you know, everyone's just having fun here on a Sunday in San Francisco, on a beautiful day in San Francisco, I might add. Saw a guy dressed as Mario and Luigi, if that, you know, you floats sure? a boat. You sure he just didn't happen to look like that? No, he was dressed in like the full red Mario suit, and yeah, he had a guy, tall guy, skinny guy, kind of looked like me, looked like mustache, Luigi green, you know, kind of weird, but, yeah, you know, whatever floats your boat, right? I don't know if they have coins that they can gobble up on their way to Ocean yeah, right? Beach or wherever they're running, but it's beers. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing about my man Evan. One of the reasons why, I, I, in all sincerity, like this guy. He lives in the city. Lives in the city. There's not only me now. This dude is in the city. I won't tell you where. It was by Kizar. <laughs> <laughs> man of the people, not above, but hopefully equal. Uh, that that's kind of the goal we're, we're rolling with right now. Originally from the East Bay, so I, oh, I do I do it. have to mention the fact that I, I I do have El Cerrito roots from the East Bay. I currently live in the city, but it's been awesome though. The city's embraced me, Dan, as as you have here on this show. I don't so, know why. But. You know when you're up, so you're over there, sort of in that area, sort of by the Kizar area. So you got all those good bars right across from Kizar. I used to call it the Kizar Club. Mm-hmm. Now it's the Kizar Pub, I believe. Yep. And so after games in high school, I used to play high school football out there at Kizar, and then you go over. Not, I was in high school, so I was, I was drinking elsewhere, not at the club or the pub. But you have that opportunity. You go to Kizar for events, and then you go over in those cool little bars. You get a Whole Foods over there. You get it's a good good vibe where you are, man. It's a good sort of, and they've cleaned that area up a little bit. What do you got? What do you got, East East Bay East Bay Bry? I actually same with you. I played football there as well, and I just oh. want to say how cool of a stadium is Keysar to play football in. Yeah, no, like it's awesome. great. Yeah, that's awesome. You get introduced coming out of the tunnel, and yeah, you feel like you've stepped up to the big time. Get the old school like locker room where the actual great players sat, and it just it's just full of history and it's amazing. It really is. Don't tell me, Mitty, you you guys weren't any good in football. Don't tell me you guys are good now. The CCS Open Division Championships, wow. not Times didn't win, but always win, always win Open Championship every year. Yeah, you're recruiting out there in San Jose, aren't you? Tell yeah, the they are. I I wouldn't put it past them. No, no comment. Right, I just wanted to uh, get back to our man Jonathan Kaminga before we move on. Oh, we, we do have an update from the 510. Beta Breakers run is done. However, the party is all day long. So who won this thing? We got to give a shout out to the winner because it is a marathon. And there's, you know, there's people that come from all over the, the world to sort of compete in this thing and take home the top prize. How about somebody call in and, you know, actually say how it was? Yeah, let us know if you're, uh, you know, not too inebriated by this point. We'd be happy to hear from you. Yeah, I just want to know. I'm all about the costumes. I, I'm about the creative topical i want to know if there was any amber heard johnny depp representation in this year's running of the beta breakers but we'll get we'll pass along a winner and tell you not that you're going to recognize it but just to be complete here at 95.7 the game we'll tell you who took home this year's 
beta breakers. But I, I'll move on from Jonathan Kaminga. You know how I feel on the guy. I'm if down, you want to, I mean, I'm down on. I'm on record telling you what it is that I think that this guy can do for you, not next year, but right now. I do want to talk about. Yeah, I gotta go here. Oh boy. That, that's turnovers. Oh, I mean it. You cannot, as we bask in the glow and the euphoria of a victory, that thing is still, it's still, it's still circling around their heads. And I don't know that it's been eradicated. I don't know that it ever will be. But it, you got through this round. But you are, man. I'm telling you, you are living dangerously if you continue to play basketball that way. I'll tell you this. And looking at the totals from the Memphis series alone, the Warriors gave away the ball 107 times. <laughs> That's silly. The Memphis Grizzlies committed 65 turnovers. That's an extra 42 possessions across six games for your opponent. Yikes. That cannot happen in the Western Cup. If you are if you are minus 40, hell, if you're minus 30 or 25 against a team like Memphis – or pardon me, against a team like Phoenix or Dallas, like those teams are going to make you pay. And they are going to do things that the Grizzlies cannot because they are simply put better. Like they score at a better efficiency. They shoot the ball better from three. The one area that I think will help the Warriors and maybe limit those turnovers is the fact that neither Phoenix nor Dallas likes to play, play as up-tempo, as fast of a pace. I think Memphis was top five in terms of pace this this season, uh, total possessions in a game. So they like to play fast. They like to speed you up, and especially, it's 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 interesting, even without John Morant, arguably the best transition player in the game, even without him, they were running up and down the court, and the Warriors, I mean, they just look gassed when they're trying to keep up with those fresh young legs of Memphis. So I don't think that'll happen as much. That should bring the turnovers down. But Dan, you, you can't give away the ball. You can't just you can't cough it up 17 times in a game when half of those are easy plays. Like, they're giveaways. They are, I mean, they're like Draymond throwing Jimmy Garoppolo medicine balls across the middle, and these guys are just scooping it up and taking it and running down the other way. Like, they're giving away possessions, and that's a byproduct a little bit of the motion offense. Like, you're going to have bad yeah. passes. You're going to have a miscut, a missed screen. You're going to turn the ball over. But that's why when you just run down the court and simply lob it or throw it out of bounds, it hurts you much more than I think people realize because when the Warriors are making threes, when they are hitting shots, you don't tend to, to look at the turnovers. But nonetheless, the totals have been high across the entire playoffs. I don't know if it will change, but they need to at least limit it in the next round. Yeah, and I think that it's a good point. If you live on that razor's edge like that of the Golden State Warriors, you're going to have a higher number of turnovers than most teams. And they, consequently, they do. But the unforced errors, and also, I think it's important that while on one hand we recognize the athleticism and the prowess of that of Memphis, that a lot of that had to do of what it was that Memphis brought to the table. They induced a lot of those errors. But this isn't relegated to Memphis. And it's not relegated to Denver. This is a way this team plays. And it's about finding that little safety zone where you can still push the ball because that's who they are, right? they got to get out and run. And when you get out and run and you rip and run and you play with that freestyle, there's going to be turnovers. But not to the extent of the numbers that you just provided. Because what happens is when you turn the ball over, that means you're not getting up shots. That means you're potentially not scoring. 
So you're talking about a potentially a four-point swing and or a six-point swing, meaning a three you could have had, and you're giving up a three on the other end. It is a tough way to live. And while there's going to be your turnovers because you're the Warriors, what, what, what has to be reduced, and not to go after Steph, but a one-handed no-look skip pass from across the court that you do not as an outlier – or I just had a bad moment, but almost with a level of regularity. And what's difficult for me to get my arms around is that it's almost sort of accepted or baked in. And I'm wondering, again, not that there's, you know, this isn't the 1980s and you can't call guys out and or chew a dude out, but I'm just wondering at what point the authority figures or the, the adults in the room, do they crack these guys? And I don't know how you do it in 2022. You can't yell at Draymond. You can't yell at Steph. But does that conversation take place? I think it has to. And and we were talking about broadcasters earlier. I thought one of them for ESPN, J.J. Redick, I, I think it was him, he brought up an interesting point about the Warriors and their turnover issue. It isn't that they turn the ball over, you know, like a ridiculous amount. It's It's like you're talking about the types of turnovers. To me, it's live ball turnovers. Yes. It's the ones that you're giving up with momentum coming the other way. When you make a lazy bounce pass to the corner and Desmond Bain scoops it up and goes coast to coast because he's beating whoever's the last line of defense down the floor. Like, those are the plays. You can turn the ball over, but you can't have, like, in game five, those 22 turnovers lead to 28 or 30 points. When that happens, you're not only shooting yourself in the foot because you don't get a shot, but you're essentially putting yourself down two possessions because it's a four-point swing. You have a chance to score a layup. You have a chance to get inside. You don't get that. And instead, you give up an easy basket on the other end where they don't even have to work for it. So it doesn't put any pressure on the other team. It gives them some room. Live ball turnovers have to be better in the Western Conference Finals. People talk about switches. It's a key word you'll hear in some circles in the NBA. We want switches. What's going to be the switch? How do we get a switch? One of the switches is what you just referred to. If we commit that sort of a turnover, a live ball turnover, and they're getting buckets on the other end, we just switch. We just provided a switch for Memphis and or Phoenix or Dallas. Like you want to prevent those sort of switches. And that's what the Golden State Warriors do when they carelessly do not take care of the rock. And these preventable turnovers prevent you from scoring, prevent you from shooting, and result in buckets the other ways. So really quick, a beta breakers update. This is my bad. I'm calling it a marathon. It's seven and a half miles. Marathon to me because I don't run anywhere. But seven and a half miles is how far the beta breakers is. So apparently not a marathon. So I don't know. Do we even recognize a winner in these? We'll be basically be, be coast to coast, right? Because the city of San Francisco lengthwise is about seven and a half miles. Is it? I mean, that's wow. That's good knowledge, buddy. Cold Valley. I'm right in the middle, about the three and a half point. You know, so they can stop at your place and get a. Cold beverages as they continue on out. Yeah, to I got the some breakers. rolling rocks in the fridge. <laughs> Not the only thing you're rolling out there, you know, that hate Asbury, <laughs> man. I don't know. All right. So as we continue to talk about the Golden State Warriors and the turnovers, because it gets a little frustrating, man, because, you know, I think you can get Memphis had six, six in game six, six. And you're turning it over that many times, but they have 18, 17, 18. Yeah. And so you're providing them. That's how you stay in the game. That's why it was a one-point game going into the fourth quarter. Is because the Warriors were giving the basketball. They were, up until that point, they were giving the Memphis Grizzlies a chance to stay in the game. And, of course, I think their championship pedigree to me is what prevailed and got them 
the win in Game 6. I mean, they just looked like they were locked in. But it doesn't always transfer to the next series. Like, just because the Warriors found a way to finish down the stretch of Game 6 doesn't mean that's going to transfer over to Game 1 in the Western Conference Finals. Also, a couple of nuggets here that were just put out by Steve Kerr himself from our own John Dickinson. Uh, Kerr is hopeful that Otto Porter Jr. can play Game 1 after saying Porter told him that his foot was feeling better. He had a right foot soreness in Game 5, was out in Game 6. And then GP2 will not play at the start of the Western Conference Finals, but Kerr said that they aren't ruling him oh, out wow. for the entire series. So that's, that's great news. That's hopeful. That's hopeful. That, that's, really, that's probably the best news I've heard concerning the Warriors and their health in a long time. What about Iguodala? Nothing about Iguodala yet, but of course, I think Iguodala, Porter, and then GP2, to me, are the most important guys that they could have coming off the well, bench. Well, that's your rotation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's we're talking about playing Kaminga. Kaminga doesn't see the floor if those three guys are healthy. Good or bad. That's just the case. I mean, you're talking about the key components on that basketball team when you're talking about the bench that are now no longer available to you, which is why you're seeing Damian Lee, which is why you're seeing Bielitsa. you got to yeah. play somebody unless yeah. you're going to play the starters the entire game because, you know, Golden State right now finds themselves. It's gone from sort of this year without Iguodala. Okay, we'd love to have him, sort of a player coach, to now it's sort of an area of of – not only concern, but it's it's getting up to ratcheting up to you know that sort of red level. Oh no, this is becoming a really really scary place to be because you know the Warriors. We always talk about Golden State going back to their days when they were winning NBA championships, and it was as much about Steph and company as it was about Livingston and Barbosa and the bench. And this year, we always talked about that they had more depth this year when healthy. Yeah. Than even going back to those that those championship days, and now all of a sudden that has been reduced drastically. And that was the big issue last season when they were trying to fight for the play-in spot. I mean, they got the eight seed and unfortunately didn't make it to the playoffs. But the issue was down the stretch of the season, even though they were successful, they were playing an eight-man rotation, which is what they did in Game Six. And that's all well and good for one series, maybe two. But the deeper you get, again, the goal is not to get to the Western Conference Finals. It is to win the NBA title. You need 16 wins from the time that the playoffs start until they end to be crowned champions. And right now, the Warriors are running thin. I mean, Draymond played 39 minutes, Wiggins 41, Curry 40, Clay 42 in Game 6 against Memphis. I don't know that they can remain as effective as they were, can remain as, you know, dominant as they have proven themselves to be in previous playoff series if those guys are playing 40 minutes a game and I, I don't know if GP2 will come back I'm, I'm kind of doubtful on that just because of the injury he suffered but if you get a chance to get Otto Porter back he slots in nicely in that small ball role which will be very very useful against Phoenix against Dallas teams that in my opinion are smaller less physical than Memphis they offer different you know things that they throw at you they're, they're better team overall but Memphis, I do think, took the pound of flesh from the Warriors, and it's just a question of whether or not that's going to affect them in the long term as they hope to get these last eight wins in the playoffs. It's pretty amazing. They had 70 rebounds, and Otto Porter didn't play. Yeah. I mean, he was your second-leading rebounder in the postseason. And 25 offensive rebounds. That's ridiculous. Just going back to what we were talking about, when you have sort of an aging core, we even entertained you blow it up if this thing ends ugly in the Western Conference Finals. Eh, we're just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall. That's not going to happen. But when you're old 
And let's just look at these guys, comparatively speaking. They're, they're an older team. You run that risk now of where injuries become a, a big – health becomes a big, big part of this, right? The NBA Finals and the NBA Playoffs have always been a battle of attrition. It's not oftentimes necessarily the best team, but it's the healthiest team. Yeah. And you look at Phoenix last year, the benefactors of all the injuries that they faced on teams in just about every round, from AD in round one, Jamal Murray in round two, and, of course, Paul George and, and Kawhi in, in, the, in the Western Conference Finals. As it relates to the Golden State Warriors, this becomes, again, much more problematic the more you become reliant on players that get to their mid-30s, which is why the infusion of youth and young legs, the Jordan pulls in, yes, the Jonathan Kamingas, or even throw the Moody's in there. That's why you have to be young at some level because there's a good chance, knock on wood, that this happens, but injuries could decide the fate not only of the Warriors, but certainly the Suns. I talked about CP3 and maybe out in the East. We don't know, but I'm willing to bet that if we have this conversation next week or in two weeks, that the entire landscape would look different exclusively because of one team suffered an injury to a key player. And while we don't factor that in, when we're talking about teams, we're always looking at the X's and O's and how does this matchup work with this matchup. Injuries oftentimes are what decides all of this. And I think while you can't prevent them, who knew that GP2 was going to go down so viciously? You, you, can, you can minimize it or mitigate it to a certain level when you have younger players on the floor. Look no further than the game that tips off in 10 minutes between Milwaukee and Boston. It's a seven-game series, but Milwaukee doesn't have its second-best player. Chris right. Middleton's been out for the entire series to this point. You look at Boston, they're missing their center, Robert Williams, who's been a big piece of their success in the second half of this season. Both teams are compromised, and obviously one has got to walk out of there with a victory to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But looking back historically, if, you know, let's say Boston does get a chance, like this may be Boston's best crack to win a title. This may be Milwaukee's best chance for a long time to compete for a championship. You never know how injuries are going to affect it, but they're absolutely, like you said, a storyline and something that we can't ignore. I mean, GP2 is a huge piece of the Golden State Warriors, but I also think that because of how the Warriors have played, and we, we discussed how strength and numbers were a big part of this team at the beginning of the season, like that also applies to the playoffs. I mean, it is a, a matchup-based you know, situation for Golden State. And I'm not sure how much GP2, I, I, he would be certainly beneficial down the stretch, but to me, he would have, he's perfect for the Memphis series because they are a team with one individual talent in jaw that you can use to throw on him and try and take him or at least slow him down. Against a team like Phoenix, I don't know how much GP2 plays down the stretch of games because they are more perimeter-oriented. They can swing it around. That might be a case where a Porter Jr. finishes the game or a Looney finishes the game to match up on Aiton, whereas we didn't see Looney finish down the stretch until it was absolutely necessary. So, you know, we'd love to have GP2 back. I think Porter Jr. is the closest to returning, and hopefully he does because he's been very important to their success both in the regular and postseason. Um, but injuries absolutely play a factor, and to me it's – that's also why it's important to have those guys because then the big three don't have to play 40 minutes a game. You don't have to worry about Curry tweaking an ankle or Draymond maybe resetting his back that held yeah. him out for a month or Clay, you know, doing something 
uh, you know, that, that could, could compromise him health-wise. Like, you got to be able to use your strength in numbers in this case to supplement the big three. And to me, that's why potentially getting Porter back is huge. And also getting back to Jordan Poole. Why he has to continue to flourish and be that guy. So you can sit Steph and not miss a beat, if not get better with Steph off the floor. One guess, actually, one name. Ev, let's see if you can pull this out. Uh Uh-oh. I liked Milwaukee. I'm Mm going to say I used that in the past. I probably gave this away. Don't look at any rosters. Eyes up here. Eyes up here. But the Milwaukee Bucks, I love everything about them. That's a small market. Giannis decides to go back to a small market. Beautiful. I, I love hey, Drew Holiday might be one of my favorite basketball players in the NBA. Just a fabulous story. Can you tell me? And you got about three seconds. We got any Jeopardy music there? Actually, it's Ta-da. pronounced Miliwake. <laughs> there you go. Can you tell me, contestant number one, that being Evan Gillings, why Danavon? No longer likes the Milwaukee Bucks, and it's because of one player. You are now on the clock. Grayson Allen. Yeah, thank you very much. Tell him what he's won, Johnny. <laughs> All right, that'd be you, Brian. You're Johnny. Yeah, what's, what's, what is the prize, Brian? Sorry, I don't respond to other people's names. <laughs> Something from the South Bay, maybe. Grayson Allen, my goodness. How? Ugh, I'll how give you a uh, Philly cheesesteak from Zanato's. Where's that? Yeah, that's a great question. South Bay. We need Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, I'm really going to go to the South Bay to get a Philly cheesesteak. Hey, hey, you said you wanted something from South Bay. <laughs> Come on over to Keezer for real hoagie. There you go. And with that, we're going to continue. I'll talk a little baseball. Maybe get into the Giants a Let's little bit. Let's do it. Let's do it. A little baseball. And then, of course, we're going to wrap things with the Golden State Warriors getting ready. Steve Kerr, by the way, once again to reiterate, will be available and coaching the Golden State Warriors come game one of the Western Conference Finals. Evan Giddings, Dan Abone, back after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Off the screen, lob to Wiggins. Wiggins touch pass to Draymond. He'll attack. Back to Wiggins in the corner. Back to Draymond. He's got two on one with Looney. Lob to Looney. Two-hand slam! Now back to 95-7, the game. 
Evan Giddings and Dan Devone to take you home. One o'clock. Then we hand things over to Alan Styles and a gentleman by the name of Shamari Block. We got some beta breaker update, right? Some news. What do you got, Ev? That we do. Want to give a shout out to Reed Buchanan, who won the. Oh, I bet on him. The, <laughs> it was a 80 to 1, kind of like Rich Strike. <laughs> um, Reed Buchanan out of San Diego apparently finished in, again, you know, not a full marathon, about seven and a half miles, according to the Xfinity Mobile text line. Thank you. That's, for that's that. like. But that's, he finished in 36 than, minutes. That's less than a quarter of a marathon, right? Marathon's 26 miles? Yeah, 26-2 or, or something like that, yeah. Okay. But he ran a 4.51 mile to win the, the male Wait, what was his time? Sorry, I interrupted. 36-10. Wow, dude. Wow, I'm trying to think. Can I, go, can I drive seven miles in 36 minutes? All right, Not today ahead. in the city. No. And uh, so Julia Vasquez, a native of San Francisco, won on the, the female side. There you go, Julia. 42 minutes and five seconds. So just about five minutes and 30 minutes per mile. My goodness. People are flying nowadays, Dan. Now you go yes. down to the Balboa Cafe. You tell them I sent you and get sideways. That's how you do it in the city. <laughs> you win anything and you go down to Balboa Cafe or, I don't know, Pato Shays, if that's still around. I don't think it is. This way, that way. All right. Let's just work in the Giants and then we'll close strong with the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Giants deserve a mention. Mauricio Dubon. Gone. Yeah. Any thoughts? Surprised? No, not really. I mean, I, I don't think I, – I saw someone floating this on Twitter that it had to do with, you know, him maybe uh, disgruntling Gabe Kapler at the beginning of the season with the whole, you know, bunt being up 10 and stuff. And I think it was like fifth or sixth game. I don't think that has anything to do with it. I just think it has to do with the fact that they're able to get a upgrade at the catching position get another guy that they could bring in to potentially challenge the current battery to step their game up both at the plate defensively. And, you know, Dubon wasn't really adding much to begin with. He's kind of floating a guy that I imagine floats between AAA and the bigs and kind of gives you some, um, you know, added depth off the bench. But the Giants are starting to get healthy, and that's why he's leaving. That was part of it is that he, they lost that AAA option. He was out of options. So that went a long way in terms of dealing him because, you know, the Giants, you're right, with a guy like that, you want to have that door open. And once he no longer had that option, their backs were sort of against the wall. Either he's part of your team going forward or we got to move him. I think the re that with the return of Evan Longoria, the return of some of these players, that he, he became expendable. But this becomes now, to me, an indictment on Joey Bart. Like, it is – that's a shot across the bow. Joey Bart, who's striking out every other at bat. He's not a Farhan guy. Farhan, keep in mind, did not draft this kid. That This is going back to the days of Mr. Evans and Sabian and company. So this is Joey Bart. You're on the clock, bro. You, you've got to uh, – and Kirk Casale, I think, is doing Kirk Casale type stuff. Kirk Casale had a home run the other day, and Kirk Casale is playing well. And, of course, we know how he handles pitchers. But I think that this is – when you find out that they went out and got a catcher – who immediately is going to go up to AAA, that there's a good chance, I think, if Joey Bart continues to struggle, that you could see that kid up here sooner rather than that's later. That's a problem. Yeah, and Michael Papirski, I don't want to butcher his name, but I think that's how it's pronounced, coming over from uh, from the Houston Astros. Right, and right. Uh, Yeah, appreciate that. No, it's it's just another thing to to keep in your, your, your peripherals. Like, Joey Bart, you are not – like, you don't have as much time as you think you do. 
I mean, it's been kind of unfair to him. He had he had lim- he was limited by the pandemic. He's always stuck behind Buster Posey. People are now coming in, not expecting him to be Posey, but expecting him to at least give you some production behind the plate. And so far, it just hasn't been the case. I know he got off to a hot start his first couple of weeks, and people were starting to think that, okay, you know, maybe this this might be Joey Bart's team. You know, he's starting to creep up the order a little bit. But then, man, like, the guy looks like he's swinging a broomstick sometimes out there, Dan. Like, he just cannot find the barrel and the ball meeting with, with any sort of consistency. And so the the trade, I, I think you, you've extrapolated it beautifully, is it's not about the actual piece or Dubon. It's about telling Joey Bart, dude, like, this what was 660 OPS, whatever he's hitting, that's not going to fly. That's not going to cut it. Yeah, and when you think about the Giants, and again, why I underline the fact that he's not a Farhan guy. There's a way, there's a structure in place, there's a template in terms of how you play baseball in a Farhan. And that is you got to be judicious at the plate. You got to go to deep in accounts. You got to have that strikeout to walk ratio and or walk to strikeout ratio. He's striking out every other at bat. He's not putting the ball in play. There is essentially no OPS on this guy. He's not getting on base. He's not doing you any of those things that, as they like to call, weighted on-base percentages, those sort of things that they put a lot of emphasis on, and he's not checking any of those boxes. The clock is ticking on this kid. So, listen, Joey Barta, I mean, I don't wish ill will on anybody, but, my man, you've got to put the ball in play and or – you got to get on base. Otherwise, they will go in another direction. This is the first step. And or it's the first step Ev, to a trade. I, I do want to give him a little bit of credit, though, because the 3.41 team ERA that the Giants currently own, You're third right. best in the National League, I do think you have to give him some credit yes. for that. He's he's done a good job behind the plate of you know, keeping these guys consistent. And you know, from whatever I've gathered, I've had the chance to cover a couple of games at, at – um, at the ballpark and, and be out there and, and post game like you can tell like all the pitchers give him credit like they're Joey Bart is available when he, when we need him to be he helps us feel comfortable now it's just a matter of him feeling comfortable specifically at the plate because like you mentioned he's leading the team in strikeouts and it'd be different if he was a, a Mike Zanino type catcher where you know, people don't think about him being a you know like a Yadi Molina but he's a great framer he hits for power. 20 to 30 home runs a season. He gives you great defense, and he manages a pitching staff, and he hits about 200. Right now, Joey Bart isn't doing any of those things aside from helping the pitching staff, and that's got to change, or something in the position is probably going to change. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. And if you indeed change and trade him and don't get a catcher in, you know, in his, say you get another position player and or you get a pitcher, now you have that luxury or security of moving up this Pazinski guy. What's his name? Papirski. Papirski. <laughs> they, they wish it was Pazinski. Yeah, no, that'd be nice. Right, right. AJ, by the way, speaking of broadcasters, I always thought was pretty good analyst. By the way, you played a little bit, right? You used to pitch back in the day. Yep. I was uh, fortunate enough to be a member of the Division Three club, so played a little bit in college. Division Three. So were you uh, – what league was this? What? So the – Pacific Northwest is a Northwest Conference. Yeah. That's, that was the league that I played in. I was a member of the Willamette University Bearcats. Pitched four years for them. Willamette, the Willamette Valley. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, that's good wine. I think Greg Popovich actually owns a vineyard up there. A lot of is NBA right? players invest in wine in the Willamette Valley. It's well known for its... Uh, very underrated. It's grapes. You know, very underrated. The snobbery out here in Napa Valley <laughs> and Calistoga, I'm telling you, will the... How do you say it? The Willamette. The Willamette. 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 <laughs> Willamette. <laughs> <laughs>
there's seriously, there's good wine there, and just just in case you're wondering where else I can go and get it on the cheap and don't, you know, don't feel as though you're being held hostage by that in Napa Valley, the Okanagan Valley. Okanagan Valley. It happens to be in Canada, just across the border out there in Vancouver. Also, amazing wine. That's good knowledge. All right. Let us get and just close things with the Golden State Warriors. I just want to walk us through Dallas and Phoenix as we get back, of course, to the Western Conference Finals, and we're, we're, going, to, we're going to know, well, they tip at 530, so we'll know tonight who the opponent is going to be. But not so much who you think that they, that they should play or you feel more comfortable playing, but just to sort of get into the matchups, starting with Phoenix and the Golden State Warriors. How do you see this thing going now? Well, Phoenix, I think, like stylistically, when I've watched them play this season, I think there's a reason why Golden State plays them better now they haven't won every single game, and and I think Phoenix as a as a whole is slightly better put together, but Phoenix is a team that defends like crazy on the perimeter. They have enough of an interior presence in Aiton to, you know, disgruntle you at the rim, and then in my opinion they have the two best closers in basketball. Like statistically down the stretch in tight games, Devin Booker and Chris Paul shoot the best out of any tandem in basketball, at least this season. That's just the case. So they are a very well-put-together team that doesn't really hurt themselves. I know they have committed a fair amount of turnovers in this Dallas series, but to me, Phoenix is a team that you have advantages. Like, they are much more of a – they, in a lot of ways, mirror what the Warriors are to me. And the Mavericks mirror, to me, what the Memphis Grizzlies are. So we've already seen – the Warriors go through Memphis. I think that's why people probably prefer the Mavericks. But as far as Phoenix is concerned, I think they almost in some ways favor the Warriors more because they don't play up and down. They're a little bit older of a team. They have more experience and they've been to the finals, but they haven't shown that they can close out a two to nothing lead in the finals. And they lost four straight to Milwaukee last year. So it's not like if you fall behind, they're a team that's just going to step on your throat and, and kill you right then and there. So to me, the advantage for the Warriors is that I think they can out-rebound Phoenix. They can play, quote-unquote, bigger because Phoenix's best lineup to me is it's long, it's lanky, but it's not huge. Like, you're not having Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr. on the floor at the same time. They have depth at the center position, but they're never going to play JaVale McGee and DeAndre Aiden at the same time. No. So the Warriors have some advantages on the outside uh, to me, where it gets a little bit iffy is I like Phoenix's perimeter defense better than almost anyone in the NBA. The combination of Crowder, Bridges, and even Paul, who's still pretty sturdy at his age on the perimeter defending and keeping guys in front, like those are going to be the guys that they throw at and switch on the three-guard lineup that the Warriors will probably have to use at some point. So I think for Phoenix, the Warriors are it will be able to play bigger and play slower, and it comes down to limiting the turnovers and how efficient you are offensively in the half court. I think they can do that against Phoenix. Do you think playing against Memphis, after what they went through, and I'm talking about sort of a, a big heavyweight fight, trading blows, we know they're not – There's. I don't think they're going to face another team that athletic, that difficult when it comes to defending and getting into passing lanes that long, that that was the perfect precursor, that you take on someone like that. If Phoenix and even Dallas, like – you know what, there is nothing that you guys are going to present or there's nothing that you can do that is going to be more challenging than what we just went through. I think that's a good point. I do think that the first two series, like, come, all right, hold, 
hang with me for a second. I'm going to try and explain this. Denver, you played a team that had one superstar in Nikola Jokic. Memphis was more of a, like they try to kill you. It's like death by a thousand cuts, especially when when John Morant exits the the equation. Together, I think they have gone through what they'll face in the next round separately in each of the first two. Like both Dallas and Phoenix have individually more star-studded talents between Luka or Booker than either Ja or Jokic. Now, the issue then becomes how you navigate, I mean, really each of those series, but Memphis did prepare you, I think, for this. You're not going to play a more up-and-down series than, than what you did against Memphis. Like, even in the East, I don't think there's a team that runs like Memphis does, especially without their best player, because that's really the only area they have an advantage is in transition. So there's going to be less turnovers in the next series, I believe. There's going to be less transition opportunities, and the game is not going to be as fast. So hopefully the type of wear and tear that we've seen befall the big three, along with some of the other members on the bench for the Warriors, hopefully won't be as big of an issue because they won't be as tired they won't be as taxed as far as a stamina as far as their stamina is concerned i do think though in crunch time they're going to have to execute far better than they did in the first two rounds like to me the first two rounds were a test of like how in shape are you like how long can you last on the court 48 minutes how fast can you get up and down the test in the next round is going to be all right we need you to still get up and down we still needed to play them close but when the game comes down to it in crunch time, how are you going to execute? Because in my opinion, both Dallas and Phoenix have their answers in that final minute or minute 30 when the game's on the line. You know where the ball's going. I'm not necessarily sure we know where the ball's going in Golden State. Hmm. Well, I'll give you one clue. It's Steph Curry. <laughs> I think the ball will be in his hands at some point. But what happens when the double team inevitably comes? What happens when... They start to pick him up at half court, and he's got to move that ball. Yeah, I would say that that's... Like, you can take the ball out of his hands more easily than you can take the ball out of Luka or Booker's hands, I think. You can take it out of his hands. I still think it's a team, as long as you've got Clay on the floor and you got Draymond and you got the veterans that has been there, done that. This is a team, and maybe something has to give because they're two teams that are both equipped to handle that moment. But I don't know if the Warriors are inferior and or if that's an area that you can expose because Golden State has played in more finals, more Western Conference finals, more NBA finals than Phoenix and or Dallas added up. Well, maybe not in the history of the Phoenix Suns. Well, yeah, I don't think the Phoenix Suns have been to that many finals as the Golden State Warriors. But the no. point being is that, you know, the Warriors, that's, that's an area when it comes down to – because I think when you look back on Memphis, you know – There are a couple of things that we learned is that, yeah, the Warriors didn't play well for three quarters. I saw there was a statistic that going into game six that Memphis had the ball like 220 minutes to the Golden State Warriors, like 165 or something, Mm. and they dominated the ball. But what do you learn from that is that when it comes down to winning time or when it comes down to the fourth quarter – that's who has the pedigree, who has the experience to drive the car across the finish line. Memphis has never done it before, not not at that level. And I think that the Golden State Warriors, one of their strengths is if we're in a close game in the fourth quarter, you may not win it all the time, but I'm pretty secure with those guys. 
Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not saying they can't do it. I, I by no means want to come across and, and talk like I'm doubting the Warriors in crunch time. I think they still have it. But the issue to me is that they've been to the finals. They've been tested, battle-tested in playoff series. But that was the younger version of these yeah. guys. Like, you look at, I hate to go back to the drop-off for your guy who's getting the ball in the last minute, Stephen Curry, but he's shooting 30, he shot 32% from three in the Memphis series. He shot, you know, 38, 37%, which is good for a, a, a normal three-point shooter across an entire regular season. But based on his 42% average, that's a, a significant drop-off. And he hasn't gotten better in the playoffs. So... Not to that's say why he's that I'm a mid range layup guy now, but go ahead. That, well, <laughs> that's right. He's got to get to the rack. He's got the old Rod Strickland going now. But I just don't know how we can expect Curry to all of a sudden reclaim the former version of himself. And I don't think they need to depend on him reclaiming the former version of himself, but to give him the ball and say, all right, I'm going to need you to go one on one or one on two down the stretch of every single possession in a tight game. I think that's a lot to ask from a guy that is clearly not as good as he once was. That's no slight. I mean, his peak was higher than potentially anyone in the history of basketball with the way he shot it. But that's just not the Steph Curry that we're going to see in the Western Conference Finals for seven games. I don't think you'll ever see that That Steph Curry. He's done. That guy's in the rearview mirror. And once you... Once all of us come to that realization, the easier it's going to be for us to move on. I think, again, I'll reiterate this. Steph Curry now, at this point in his career, I think, is more effective at a mid-range and getting to the rim. Now, he can still shoot the three, but living and dying on the three and expecting him to get that sidestep three and have the place going nuts because he hit seven in a row and finished with 45 points, I just – that ain't happening anymore. And he still people still think that he's going to pull that out of his bag of tricks, that it's still there. It's in the chamber somewhere. And I'm saying this iteration of Steph, where I still think he's MVP-esque if you want to get into that conversation. But his game now is about mid-range, and it's about getting to the rim because I still think that with that dribble and those handles, he can use just about everybody. It's sort of like here, – here's a baseball analogy for you. Stay with me on this. You know who Bartolo Colon is? I do. Absolutely. Who doesn't? Bartolo Colon came into the league. I think back in the early 2000s, I think 2006, he won a Cy Young. Yep. He won that Cy Young throwing gas. He was like 97 on the edges. Two slices. <laughs> what do you mean? I think he was making a reference Two to Two slices it. of pizza. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah got you. <laughs> you know, some people just make you giggle. Sometimes I, got, I, need a horse, <laughs> I need a horse blindness. I cannot look at Brian. He was absolute, <laughs> he was absolute gas when he came into the league. When he left and he was still an effective pitcher and he was able to elongate his career, not only with the A's, but he went to the New York Mets and they loved him over there. This stuff was like, you know, he was like 85 miles off the table. I mean, he was he was mixing it up. He was he was playing the corners, but still an effective pitcher. Same with Jamie Moyer. My point is, is that you can still be an effective player, but not be a three-point sharpshooter and take the world by storm. Yeah, You can be an effective pitcher and elongate your career and tack on another, you know, eight to ten years by doing it a different way. So it's not as though it's the end of Steph Curry, but let's usher in potentially a new version thereof. Yeah, and we've seen basketball players sort of re- redefine themselves later in their career. I mean, it's it's not like, you know, a certain guy can't learn how to step in and hit an 18-footer with any consistency or, you know, get to the rim a little bit more. My, my issue, and maybe I'm a pushback there on the analogy, is – 
nobody was expecting Bartolo Colon or Jamie Moy or even Greg Maddox, who is far superior to any of those guys him. later in his career. They're not asking those guys to go out there and pitch a, a shutout in Game 7, which is kind of what the Warriors might need if this potential matchup with Phoenix or Dallas comes down to a that sixth or seventh game. That makes too much sense. You screwed up my analogy, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that you know, we, we can't expect Steph to be the the former version of himself. We can still expect him to be great from time to time, but those games, are those 40-point outbursts, those games where he's getting to the rack, he's hitting from mid-range, he's doing his, his, chef, his chef shimmy on the court, those days are fewer and far between, and especially with only 48 hours of rest in between each game and the Western Conference Finals, I'd be willing to bet that Steph has maybe two maybe three of those games in a seven-game series. Hopefully they come at the beginning of the series because I think they'll need an early edge, as we talked about earlier, sneaking off with a game one win, whether it be at home or on the road, to get themselves back to the finals. All right. It's all slated and in front of us and ready to go. You sit back and you watch basketball today and tonight. Well, you want to watch the Eastern Conference, that's up to you. But all eyes on Dallas and Phoenix to find out who the next opponent is. And then things get underway on Wednesday as the Golden State Warriors will take on either Phoenix or Dallas. Ed, my man, what do you got planned for the rest of the day? I'm going to head out and see what's going on with the whatever else is after beta breakers. I, I know people have just run, apparently not a full marathon, but about seven and a half miles, and someone did it in under five minutes. So I know he's going to be thirsty for a pop. I am as well. Who went under five minutes? Uh, our guy Reed Buchanan from uh, San Diego, the guy who won the, the mail. What did he do under five minutes? Uh, that, 35 that was, minutes. It was thir- 36 minutes total, but four, 450 in terms of minutes per mile. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. All right, all right, all right. There you go. All right, well, there you go. Enjoy the afternoon. It'll be nuts where you live. You know, I would just, you know, get a lounge chair and just sit outside and watch all the coconuts walking I'll by. I'll be down in Golden Gate Park, man. I'll be doing my thing. Boom. Bri, I love you. My man, Evan, is seriously, I had a blast this afternoon. It absolutely flew by. Up next, it's a guy by the name of Alan Styles, the leadoff hitter out of Temple. And he's taking on and he's co-hosting with a man by the name of Shamari. Ah, no need needed. Yeah, we'll give him the block. The block is always hot. That's next on 95.7 The Game. Enjoy it, everybody. So long. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.